Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Thanks, Dave. Thank you all for your kind giving last week. It's lovely to be able to bless not just our own local community, but the um, global missions as well, some like Tear Fund and places like that that are um, in dire need at the moment. Charities are um, struggling, so it's lovely to be able to bless them. We are on, um, still on our theme of advance, looking at the kingdom, look at these kingdom parables from Matthew 13. A number of weeks ago, we get into chapter 13. We looked at the context of this chapter, the fact that Jesus now has given the Sermon on the Mount. He's chosen his 12 disciples, and he's now training them as like family members of this new kingdom. He's telling them through these parables how this new kingdom actually is going to advance. And I'm going to do two today. Dave did one verse last week, um, and I'm going to do two parables in three verses today. They're very alike, these parables, but very powerful, all right? Um, This is them in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You can notice there that he doesn't own the field, all right? He's just a laborer working in the field. We'll talk about that in a moment. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, the Lord always honors the public reading of his word, so we know that he'll bless that today. Um, Becoming a member of the kingdom was a very powerful thing, and Jesus was, as I said, training these disciples how that was going to work. And with this kingdom, there are always barriers and hindrances to making this kingdom grow, always, through every generation. Um, And uh, for instance, there's fear. Uh, Many people have fear because we want people to like us, and so our friendships are precious to us, and we're afraid of somebody maybe not liking us. If we stand on their toes, there's pride. Often we feel very vulnerable, um, and uh, especially when you pluck up the courage to tell someone that they need Jesus in their lives. And then, of course, there's prejudice. Some, there's some people we just don't get on with that well, and we need to do some examination of our hearts around um, people like that. And there are many, many more barriers. We could list them, I'm sure, and you could think of many barriers and hindrances to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and expanding the kingdom of God. But I think in this story, in these two parables, Jesus actually puts his finger right on the pulse. He puts his finger right on the pulse. The greatest barrier and hindrance actually to serving God and extending the kingdom is that we value other things more highly than we value him. I think that's the key one, all right? And um, in these two short parables, Jesus is exposing to our view the worth of the kingdom of heaven and the cost of it and what the worth of it will be, things that will change us, change what we value and change what we live for. Now, if you were to go back in the passage to verse 36, you would find in verse 36 that it says that um, then he left the crowds and went into the house And his disciples came to him saying, explain the parable of the weeds in the field. 
So this is a different, there's a shift here. From verse 36, he's not talking and telling these parables to the public anymore. He's refined his search, and he's now pulled the disciples into a house. He's pulled the disciples into a house. He's going to talk to them privately. He's gone indoors, and he's going to explain the parable of the weeds from verse 36 to 43. Uh, and then, he, as you know, he's taught the, the crowds a great deal. But now he reserves something for these disciples alone. And these are particularly important for the disciples, for the life of discipleship. They need to grasp these truths. And I think this is why Jesus has done this. And these two parables that we're considering today, they're not really that complex. They're small. And yet I probably think in studying Matthew 13 over the last number of weeks, these are probably two of the most significant parables in all of Scripture. Now, if you just I'll put the passage up again so you can get a little idea of it as we sort of look at the comparisons of these two people. The first um, parable in chapter in verse 44 is a parable of a man who finds treasure in a field. And once he finds it, he does an interesting thing. He doesn't want anybody to know he's found it, so he buries it again. He covers it up again. And um, he uh, then sells everything he has to find out the asking price of the property, purchase the field, so he might gain the treasure. Interesting. And we'll look at that in a moment. The second parable, 45 to 6, we're just following on after the word again. They're very similar. But this time, it's a merchant who is searching for fine pearls. Presumably, this is how he makes his living in the world. He trades fine pearls. And um, one day, he finds this uniquely precious pearl that he simply must have, and he liquidates all his assets in order to obtain this one great prize. Um, so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to, we're going to talk about three things today. We're going to talk about the beneficiaries of the kingdom. We're going to look at the value of the kingdom, and then we're going to look at the power of the kingdom. Is that all right? You with me so far? So let's talk about the beneficiaries of the kingdom, all right? In the first parable, the, the, the Jesus tells us about a man who finds treasure in a field. Treasure is something that's a bit of a fantasy to us, but in Jesus' day, it wouldn't have been so. Palestine was a war-torn region, and the scenario in verse 44 probably would have been more common. What would have happened? People would have hid their valuables in a field just so they wouldn't be stolen. But if they died before they recovered it, obviously that secret would go to the grave with them. So this was probably a common enough thing that Jesus was talking about. And in this case, the thing to notice is, as I said, the man who found the treasure is not the owner of the field. All the other details of the parable actually are shaped around that one prevailing fact because he has to get it. All right? The man, he's probably a hired farmhand working the land on behalf of a landowner, doesn't own the field in which the treasure is found. And according to rabbinic law, I was looking this up this week, if a man lifts a treasure from its hiding place, he's now legally bound to give it to the person who owns the land. And so, but if he purchases the field, which he does, if he purchases the field, then the land and everything in it, including the treasure, would legally belong to him. He's not a wealthy landowner. He's a hired help. On the other hand, the second parable from 45 on, the, the central character is not a hired laborer, but a wealthy merchant. 
And Jesus is bringing a comparison of these two men, which is really, really interesting. This guy makes his living in what was a lucrative trade in this day. Um, they were in great demand in Jesus' day. And these pearls, um, history tells us, they came as far away from India and Sri Lanka, um, which is probably the best ones, which means that this merchant who deals in fine pearls would have to travel widely to track down his um, best products. And in this case, after searching for how, no, how long, we're not sure, or for how extensively far he's traveled, we're not sure, this merchant has last, at last, found a pearl worth more than anything else that he's ever seen. And note the striking contrast about this. This is interesting, that the man who finds the buried treasure is a poor hired laborer, earning his crust, working with his hands. The other travels extensively in pursuit of his business interest and is probably relatively wealthy. Both, however, are beneficiaries of the kingdom. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us, all right? The first man is busy with his tasks when all by accident, as it were, he discovers hidden treasure in the field. He is no metal detector. He's not out looking for treasure. He's not thinking about treasure. He's not expecting a change in his circumstances today at all. He's plowing his field when his plow hits something that doesn't sound like a rock and his world is turned upside down in an instant. On the other hand, the second man, he, he knows treasure. He's been seeking it with all diligence. This is what he does for his living. This is his life. Pearls are his great business. He's dedicated himself to finding them. He's seen plenty of them over the years, and suddenly all his searching has come to an end. He doesn't need to search anymore because he finds one pearl that he can retire on, a pearl worth more than anything else he has ever possessed. This is the incredible thing about this. And these are the beneficiaries of the kingdom, diverse and different, all alike. These are the people of God. This is the church. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us. Some are rich, some are poor. Some go looking for answers, perhaps even for a long time, when at last, by God's grace, they find the pearl of great price, who is Jesus Christ, none other. Others are oblivious to the true poverty of their lives until the treasure sort of lands in their lap. This is what happens to man in the field. He's not even looking for it. And all of a sudden, God takes hold of someone like that and makes them his own. Everybody comes into the kingdom by the one way, but in a different way. All of us have different stories. There are different things that have happened. And I think the important lesson for us here is that the nature of the kingdom and all those who belong to it, we are not alike. Our upbringings are different. Our stories are different. And that's the way it's meant to be. There's Protestant and Catholic. There's black and white. There's rich and poor. There's somebody's from somewhere and nobody's from nowhere. All of these types belong to the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is trying to say. There are no types who, if they trust Jesus, do not belong to the kingdom. And of course, this means you and I have a place in this incredible kingdom. There are no outsiders in the kingdom and there are no insiders in the kingdom. This is the beautiful story. Paul, the apostle, would put it like this in Galatians 3. He would say, there's neither Jew or Greek, slave or free. There's no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So if today you trust in Christ, you have a home amongst the people of God, regardless of where you went to school or where you didn't go to school, regardless of how much you make or how long you've been in benefits, 
You have a home here, regardless of the language you speak or the color of your skin. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then your face fits in the gallery of the beneficiaries of the kingdom of God. That's the most incredible story. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell. The rich or poor, doesn't matter, whoever. Now let's talk a moment or two about the, about the value of the kingdom. Notice what the two men do. They're, they're, they're very different means available to them, but they do a similar thing. They sell all that they have to buy the field and to buy the pearl. You see what they've done, right? What they've actually done is they've done a, a careful cost-benefits analysis. You in business will know this. They've placed the total worth of everything in their lives on one side of the scale, and then they've placed the total value of the treasure or of the pearl on the other only to find that the benefits of possessing the treasure and the total worth of the pearl far, far outweighs anything they could have ever gained or any cost incurred to get either of these two things. This is the value of this kingdom. Let me tell you something, right? Jesus Christ is worth having in your life because having him, knowing him, enjoying the forgiveness he can provide, having our consciences made clean through his blood, being adopted into his family, being made a co-heir with um, Jesus Christ and an heir of his Father God, being changed into the likeness from one degree of glory to another, being guided in all our confusions, being comforted in all our sorrows, rebuked in all our wanderings, and preserved through all our dangers, and getting heaven, getting us safely brought home to heaven at the end of the journey. That's pretty cool stuff. All of that makes Jesus Christ beautifully precious so that all can say, along with the psalmist in this great psalm, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart feel, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's an incredible passage. It's saying, Jesus, you are my treasure. Jesus, you are the pearl of great price. Jesus, you are more valuable to me than anything else. That's what God is looking in this day and age as we live in planet Earth. And I want to do something today. I want to recommend Jesus to you. If you're watching online or you're in the building and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I recommend Jesus to you today? Because especially today, if you're not a believer in him, besides um, Jesus, all the razzmatazz of life is but a bubble. Alexander McLaren said that he was at his kid's party and um, somebody blew a bubble. And he said he watched the bubble float across the, 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 the top of the party as everybody was playing. And he said the sun shone through the bubble and he said he could see the, the multicolored splendor of the bubble, all the colors of the rainbow. And then he said it just popped. And he realized it was just a speck of soapy, murky water. Can I tell you something? <laughs> That's what it means to live without God in your life. There is nothing in a bubble life. There is everything in a Jesus life. And the gold of this world, as we talk, has lost its value. Its brilliance is tarnished beside the unending worth of Jesus Christ. And his value never depreciates. And we will spend eternity discovering its true dimensions of the infinite worth of the unending satisfaction that Jesus places in our hearts. This is a great story. 
To live without Jesus is to live with utter poverty, needlessly, because there's treasure for you in Jesus Christ. Lastly, the power of the kingdom. You know, when one gets a taste of this treasure, it expels lesser treasures. Somebody once said, there's no high like the most high. And it's true. There is no high like the most high. He awakens a new appetite. He awakens a new affection. He, there's a new sense comes into your being. There's a new taste. There's a new longing in your heart that nothing but Jesus can fill. And if you've been near Jesus at a time and you're away at this present time, you know that you are the loneliest person on planet Earth, more so even than someone who's never experienced him. To have him and then to lose him. To have him and then to get distant from him. And can I say to you, if you're distant from him today, he's not the one that's moved. He is the constant in your life. And this is what happens to the man's heart, the man that finds the treasure in the field. It says he, in his joy... He goes and he sells all that he has to buy the field. The treasure has captured his heart. Nothing else comes close to mattering to him in comparison to this. He has relinquished all with joy. It's not a grudging thing to him. Um, If he lets go of goods or kindred or whatever, it's no problem to him because here's what's happened. He delights to have the treasure because the treasure possesses him before he possesses the treasure. See, when he spied it in the field, he buried it because he thought, I've got to have that. And he went away to work out a plan how to get it because it possessed him long before he possessed it. That's what John meant when he wrote in, I think it's 1 John 4, 19, when he said, um, um, we love him because he first loved us. That's the only reason we love him. He possessed us long before we possessed him. This is the incredible story that we have. And I love this. There's a new affection that rules his heart that expels everything else that once seemed dear and precious and valuable around which his life used to pivot. Here, Paul would put it this way. Paul said, yet indeed, he said, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. The actual word there for rubbish in the authorized version is the word dung. Excuse me if that offends you, but it's in the Bible and it's the right word. All the modern versions have tried to gloss it up a little bit, but it's the word dung. That's what it means. It's something that has gone through the body. All the nutrients and good is taken out of it and it's nothing but waste and it has no value. That's what Paul's saying here. It's incredible. Jesus now becomes to him the sun and the solar system of his life and everything else pivots and turns around Jesus now. Jesus has become the center of his life. Now you see the challenge in that, don't you? To obtain the field, he must sell all that he has. To buy the pearl, the merchant must relinquish his other treasures. What's Jesus telling the disciples here? He's saying, boys, you can't have both. You can't play footsie with the world and try to be a good believer. Not going to work, guys, he's saying. You you, you take hold of the valuable grace of God in Jesus Christ. You must relinquish your hold on the rotten rags of life on your own terms. You got to do it. You can't have both. You put your hand into the Savior's hand. You must let go of the counterfeit treasures to what you've been clinging. And that's what the Bible means when it talks about repentance. 
means about putting your hand in the hand of the Savior and letting the hand go of all other things. It means letting go all of that's not, that, 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 that Christ is not the center in. Everything that you've been resting on. I love what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says this way. He says, we're still making mud pies in a slum because we don't believe in an offer of a holiday at the beach. Our problem is not that we love pleasure too much. Our problem is that we're too easily pleased. Very powerful, isn't it? We settle for the cheap plastic imitation satisfaction. I do it too. The broken toys of the world that live and put us into rebellion against God when the satisfying treasure of Christ is offered us above all other things. Where's the logic in that? Where is the logic in that? We settle for cheap imitations. Come and trust Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Come to me. All you who are laboring are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You all know I'm a Formula One fan. It's an Abu Dhabi today. The last two races and today's race have been in the richest nations in the world. Qatar, um, Saudi Arabia, and this week in Abu Dhabi. And um, the wealth is undeniably visible. The wealth of those countries is incredible. And they display their wealth in the things that they wear and the cars that they drive and the homes that they live in and just the place itself just speaks of wealth. And, um, and their lives are filled with the adornment of their riches. And I began to ask myself this week in the study, if Jesus Christ is my treasure... Does it show? They say you can't hide wealth. (laughs) Does Jesus Christ show in my life as the treasure of my heart? Am I fully centered in him? Is it evident to others around that he is my treasure? Does my life display the value of Christ even to my own heart and to others? Where your treasure is, you see, the Bible says, there your heart will be also. Is Christ, your treasure. Challenging little parables, aren't they? I love um, Helen Keller, and I love her writings. Um, She was born in 1880. She died in 1968. And she had some amazing quotes. She said this, life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing at all. Now, it's a big statement But for someone who was born deaf and blind, it sort of takes on a whole new relevance. You could say it again, it takes a deeper meaning, doesn't it? She said this one, she said, the best and most beautiful um, things in the world cannot be seen or even touched, but must be felt with the heart. My favorite one is this one. She said that alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. And she wrote that in her biography, um, a little bit of a story around that saying, on the advice, what happened when Helen Keller was born, her parents wouldn't accept that she couldn't attend normal school. Her parents wouldn't accept that she would be put into just somewhere and forgotten about. And so her parents fought back then in the late 80s that she would be seen. And so on the advice of Dr. Alexander Graham Bell, the parents of Helen Keller sent a teacher from the Perkins Institute for the Blind in Boston 
to look after. And the girl that they sent to look after Anne was a 19-year-old orphan girl called Anne Sullivan. And, um, and she began, she was chosen for the task to train um, the six-year-old Helen. And it was the beginning of a close and lifelong friendship between them. And by means of the manual alphabet, I think I've told you this story before, Anne spelled into Helen's hands words like puppy or doll. And two years later, Helen, when she was just eight, was reading and writing Braille fluently. At 10, she learned different sounds by placing her fingers on Anne Sullivan's larynx and getting the vibration. And she learned how to put words together and later, Helen went to Radcliffe College where Anne spelled the lectures into her hand. After graduating with honors, Helen decided to devote her life to helping the deaf and blind. And as part of the endeavor, she wrote many books, many articles, traveled around the world making speeches. And since her speeches were not that intelligible to some, Anne would have translated them to her audiences. Pretty impressive for somebody deaf and blind. Their nearly 50 years of companionship ended when Anne died in 1936. And Helen wrote these endearing words about her lifelong friend. I love this. She said, um, my teacher is so near to me that I scarcely think of myself apart from her. I feel that her being is inseparable from my own and that the footsteps of my life are in hers. She said, the best of me belongs to her. And there's not a talent or an inspiration or a joy in me that has not been awakened by her loving touch. That's how God supplies his Holy Spirit to those who believe. He just doesn't supply the Holy Spirit to us for a lesson in good behavior every now and again. That's not the deal of the Holy Spirit. He supplies the Spirit as a lifelong companion and close friend, the one who walks with us through every step, every valley, and every hill of our lives. He is a treasure and a pearl that's worth selling all to have. And the challenge to my heart this week as I sat in the study was, is that where he is in my life? Have I sold all? to gain this pearl of great price? Have I buried it up to make sure I could go and value and work out what I needed to get rid of in light that I would have this treasure of great value? That's the church that God's redeeming at the moment. And that's the church that will touch this city. That's the church that will touch your neighborhood because you see you can't hide it. I often say when you're abiding, there's no hiding. When you're abiding, there's no hiding. I'd love us just as we close, I'd love to pray. I'd love to ask you today, what about you? What about you? I'd love to ask you online today, what about you? Have you ever sought the pearl of great price? Maybe something that you've been searching for for a long, long time, searching for and pleasure hasn't filled it and Alcohol hasn't filled it and pornography hasn't filled it and drugs hasn't filled it and whatever else. Relationships haven't filled it and the high of maybe the business world or whatever, I don't know what it is, maybe just hasn't filled it. And 
and all of a sudden you're beginning to realize there's a pearl of great price. Or maybe you've just clicked on today and you're not really interested at all, but you're just looking something to do and something has just landed in your lap, like the boy who hit the treasure with a rock and you think, holy smoke. <laughs> maybe this is for me right now, whatever way. That's the thing about this kingdom. That's the thing about this kingdom. There's people that have been searching for it for a long time and maybe today is the day you'll find it. And there's people who haven't been searching for it at all and you just trip over it almost. And you think, wow, this could change my life. That's the kingdom. So God, I pray today that for those listening, whether online or in the room, God, if this is a moment that they need to decide the value of this treasure or the value of this pearl, to gain it above all others, to love Jesus above all others in your life. And those of us who have lost things in our lives and lost those that were near and dear to us, will know this when I say this, and I remember saying it. I've learned in life that I could live without most things, but I couldn't live without him. I've learned in life that I could live without most things, but I couldn't live without him. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure of unbelievable value. And may we go home today and grasp the nettle and say, Jesus, whatever's left in my life, I am giving it all to you because you are my pearl of great price. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. Hope you're challenged. Hope you're as challenged as I've been this week. I hope you shed as many tears as I've shed this week because um, there's something about these teachings. You can see why Jesus pulled the disciples into a room for this. This wasn't for everybody. This was for, this was for the church. This was for the disciples. This was, this was for the new kingdom family. And we're gleaning from this value of this 2,000 years later. Sorry, I can't tell you to go and get tea and coffee, but I'm sure you've got a kettle at home. But the- we hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.